Welcome to the Winged Hazar Pubcast. From fantasy to sci-fi to history and horror, your hosts are about to take you on a journey through all things Winged Hazar Publishing. Sit back and relax as we talk about writing, gaming, as well as interview some of your favorite authors. Let's wing it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Winged Husser Pubcast. Today's episode is going to be about writing in a licensed IP setting versus an original world. So one of the niche markets that we've kind of cornered is that we produce novels and background material that tie into already existing games. Um, so two of our flagship IPs that we produce novels in are Kings of War and Infinity of the Game. Um, we've produced some other ones over the years, but these are the two ones that we're focusing on right now. Not only that, we do a lot of standalone original works as well set in original universes. So we kind of do everything in terms of working with novels that already exist in pre-existing universes, as well as novels that create their own world and characters and races and everything. So there's a very distinct difference between the two, wouldn't you say, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's something that we can do a bit of a deep dive in on this this episode. But um, Wing to Saar, like a lot of different companies out there, have uh, a bank of authors who are, who are returning and diving into, in, into different franchises. So I know there's a lot of authors on the books who we could mention who, who do a little bit of everything, who, who will uh, write for franchises that they know inside out, will write for franchises that they've never worked with before and do their own custom content effectively, their own books from scratch, uh, that are that their own IPs, their own settings. Right. So sit back, relax. Mark and I are going to go over some of the pros and cons of working in both types of settings. And we'd love to hear your feedback of what you think works best and what you'd like to see more of from us. So first off, let's define what a licensed IP setting is. So off the basis of the word, it's a license agreement that we have to write novels and fiction based on an already existing uh, universe. So for example, as I mentioned, the two that we work the most in are Kings of War and Infinity of the Game. So what goes on with that is, you know, we reach out to those companies originally and we say, hey, we're interested in producing novels set in your universe. Would you be willing to work with us to have an agreement to do that? And so, you know, there's a licensing agreement that gets set up. And then us, the publisher, we go out and we look for authors and we, you know, tie them in with certain subjects and we work with the parent company to make sure that that we're producing novels in the direction that they want to see. So sometimes we'll do, you know, standalone novels that have a plot that don't exactly move the the game forward, but tell a story within the universe. And then other times we'll have novels that are very core central to the game and help um, move forward ideas that the parent company want to do and uh, bigger game topics and narratives. Yeah, and um, with with some of the IPs we've looked at, uh, particularly when you look at um, some some of the smaller projects like short stories, I've done a little bit of sub editing, for want of a better phrase, and it's quite interesting to see when authors come back and and want to dive into someone else's established IP, what their ideas are, and I suppose try, Star Wars. Everyone knows Star Wars. If you were to imagine it in Star Wars terms, you may get one author who'll come back and say, "Okay, so so my idea." is post-Return of the Jedi, and the Emperor is going to come back, and so is Darth Vader, and they're both going to become good guys, and this is my idea. And you're like, wow, that is absolutely huge, and that is going to change the entire IP. Whereas what you kind of need sometimes, I think, is just a story about Bob the Stormtrooper and his friends, 
and um, th that's I think certainly when you you're testing the water of a new IP, that's that's sometimes a a good place to go. Right, and Mark's got a lot of experience on that subject because he's been our star author to lead three of the franchises that we've worked on. Uh, Mark did the first full-fledged novel for our Beyond the Gates of Antari series. He did uh, the first novel for Kings of War, and he did the first novel for Infinity of the Game. Yeah, and they, um, star author, it's very kind of you. I definitely, that's not how I describe myself, just, just to uh, put it out there. But um, yeah, all three of those had completely unique challenges, I think. The, oh, where would you even start? I could do, do an episode almost on, on each of those um, in terms of when you, when you come in and, uh, and you look at how the, the lore masters for each of those three have set up shop and what you need to do to, to work around and within and alongside them. And uh, they were all hugely different. I think the um, Infinity is a great one to start with because there are thousands and thousands of pages of lore. So if you right. compare, compare that to something like um, when we had at Gates of Antares, which was, there was one book, that was one book, uh, and even within that I followed that uh, and, and was still getting stuff coming back saying, yeah, yeah, that's wrong. And it's like, but it says, it says this on page 46 of the book, yeah, we've changed our mind. And it's like, you, you, you put one book out and you're retconning it already. Um, and that was very hard to work to. Whereas if you look at something like Infinity, that's very difficult to work to, but for a completely different reason, uh, is that it, because there is so much lore to it, absolutely tons, uh, and it's quite hard to navigate your way around that as an outsider looking in. Right, I think that's something that we can definitely touch on in this episode, of is how lore masters and what happens when, in different IPs and how they handle that. Um, but before we get into that... Let's start on a, uh, a more positive note, and let's talk about some of the more positive things, the pros of working with IPs. So working with IPs, you know, as I said, it has pros and cons, and there are, you know, a good amount of pros. And one of the leading factors when working with IPs is you have support already. You have an existing fan base. So there, so you're stepping into a world where there's people already supporting the works that you're writing. There's already people who know what you're talking about. When you, It's also one of the challenges as well at times, but when you write about, let's say, Infinity, and you're writing about Pan Oceana, or you're writing about Kings of War, and you're writing about the Basileans of the Trident Realms, or any of the other factions, the core audience that those books are tuned to, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. They'll be like, oh, yeah, that, that's already one of the factions. I collect that army. I know everything about them. But meanwhile, when you're trying to appeal to a science fiction and fantasy audience, you have to kind of build that up a little bit in the text. So that one, I guess, is kind of a pro and a con at the same time, is you have to appeal to your base. So you have to – you don't want to pepper too much detail in there that you're oversaturating what they already know. But at the same time, you do want to appeal to a new audience that hasn't ever read any of these books, and you want to give them enough detail to let them know this is what this is. Because a Kings of War player, by if you say, oh, the Basileian forces, they're going to already know. Or if you reference a specific unit, they're going to go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what it is. But a generic science fiction and fantasy uh, reader is going to look at it and go, what? They need some type of context clues, even if you're not bashing them over the head with details. How, do, how, have, you, how have you worked with that in your writing, Mark? Uh, I think um, the, the thing that stands out from that side of it, physical detail, I suppose, is a good one to, to, to start with on that. 
So fantasy novels. Uh, I, I've done an independent, uh, my own setting fantasy novel, uh, and I've done quite a bit for Kings of War. Um, I would treat them to an extent uh, both the same way to start with, which is to, which is first off, you've got to establish uh, what does the what does your reader what's their what's their pre-existing level of knowledge. So if it's your own IP, your own setting, your own thing you've made up, it's, it's going to be zero. Whereas if you look at something like Kings of War, they might already know stuff inside out, but what if they don't? I'm editing or going through some ideas for some uh, franchise stuff at the moment within Kings of War, and it's for factions I know absolutely nothing about. So I'm having to go back to these other authors and say, you need to kind of describe more of what a fool is, because I, I don't know what that is. That's, that's something I'm not particularly au fait with. Uh, for me, and it's, this, is just, this is just me, this is, won't be the same for all the authors on the books, uh, I will assume nothing and assume that the reader, uh, what if they're dipping their toe into this franchise and actually they don't know the first thing about it. So you want it to be inclusive and say, yeah, you've still got a fighting chance of understanding this. Uh, so I said about physical detail, uh, paladins, what armour have they got? So describing the fact that... Um, that they're in what is effectively plate mail, full plate armour, um, and they've got a holy book uh, dangling from the waist because that's what that's what the models have, that's what the minis have. Uh, so, um, but you'd have to do exactly the same with the, the, the non-franchise stuff as well. The only difference is you've got 100% freedom in making up exactly what you want, whereas with the franchise stuff, you are 100% committed to supporting what is already out there and what the company wants the creative direction to be. 100% agree. And, you know, part of that, that also helps, is it because you're writing in an already established universe, and in this case, you know, tabletop gaming, there are miniatures that correspond with usually the units and characters that you're writing about. Now, while the characters themselves are usually new and invented, because we don't have too many novels that are focusing right now on already existing characters in the universes. You can use the miniatures as a template to help shape your details, which is something that some authors do take advantage of and some authors don't necessarily focus on as much. But you can, when you're writing about these units and things that are already existing in the world, you can go to the unit page and look at it and say, all right, this is what a miniature looks like. This is what they normally have. And to correspond with that as well, you can look at the rules and say, all right, this is what the unit usually carries. So I can work that into a detail. And then this one, this detail doesn't necessarily fit with them. So I'm not going to put that in. It, it helps to characterize what you're writing by being able to go back and reflect on something and say, what can I use off of the source material? It's more than just units and names. It, it's details that you can pick up from both the physical miniature and the detail of the rules. Yeah, I think it's um, really, really, really important to do that as well. Uh, Kings of War. Let's let's stick with that for a sec. Steps to Deliverance was the first novel I did for that. That wasn't supposed to be the first one out, was it? We had a we had a reshuffle. So I thought I had yes. more time than I did at one point. But um, Kings of War was a uh, miniatures game. I was uh, I was aware of. I was I, I'd never played it. Um, that it, it doesn't mean it was. I think uh, over here in the UK, there's there's some pretty big retailers online in, in the war game industry. And when you go to their website, they'll they'll kind of have 
the standard his his all off forty k stuff in stock, and then they'll have a smattering of of other big heavy hitters. And, and Kings of War is on them quite a lot, so I knew it from that that it was a, a major a major player in the industry. But I'd never played it, and I'd never seen it, so. I uh, bought some of the miniatures and just thought that the first thing I can do um, alongside uh, having having the book sent over and reading the law is build and paint uh, some of the miniatures because then you start to see the uh, the details. And so uh, paladins, um, I think it was even, was it the dudes on foot? I can't remember if it was cavalry, if it was mounted or not. Anyway, um, I, I made some of those and it was kind of a little bit funny because there was there was another author who was reading my stuff and helping me, who was a very 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 au fait, very familiar, was a tournament organizer within Kings of War, and read some of my first stuff about Steps to Deliverance and came back and said, "You've got this holy book dangling from the belt. Yeah, that's a that's a Warhammer Fantasy Battle ripoff thing. You can't do that." And it's like ah, it's on the model right in front of me that I've just made, and um, I, I don't think Warhammer Fantasy Battle have got the uh, exclusive rights to that feature. That's um, that's quite a, a, a common trope, I think. So, right. so, so, so yeah, I um, I know not everyone does it, and you can certainly get away without doing it. But also, I think for both of us, from having edited some of the other stuff, you, you can tell. You can tell when people haven't even tried as authors, or when you look at it and go, uh, "This is this is a, a great. It could be a great story. It could be absolutely fantastic, um, but it is committing so many law violations that not even the basic five minutes uh, base level of research has gone into this, and it stands out." Um, that being said, I've I've certainly made some mistakes myself as well. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that one. It, it, in even if you're, the tough thing, and we'll throw this into the con list, the tough thing about when you're working with licensed IPs is that even if you have all the source material, and even if you're reading it front and back, there are times when details will escape. And it's such, there's such minor details sometimes that get through that you don't even think twice about it. So I'll, I'll give a little, this the whole point of this podcast for behind the scenes stuff. So I'll give a little behind the scenes tidbit here is um, when we first started with Kings of War, we did uh, an anthology of short stories. And our viewpoint on that, and we had done that with a few, yeah, a few of the other franchises, but our viewpoint with that is we wanted to give kind of an overview of the game and the different factions, and we wanted to be able to put a sampling out to readers to say, this is a sample of what you're going to expect from the, the novels moving forward. This is kind of, here's... This is kind of a smattering of all the different units and the different factions, and now you're going to get a sample of the whole entire world and how it's going to work. One of the issues that we had is we, in the Trident Realms story, again, we were still trying to establish our base with the parent company to make sure the corresponding was correct, and so there were things about you know asking questions, not asking questions, having them view things, not view things. So there was a part of the story where the author wrote that the Trident Realm forces were male. Now, they're called naiads of the base unit. So, naiads by mythological lore are female. In my mind, I didn't necessarily think that was the case because some of the units looked kind of androgynous. You couldn't really tell if they were male or female. So, I just assumed, you know, equality. They could be male or female, whatever. We sent it to the parent company review. They didn't make a comment about the fact that there were male naiads. Went to print, whatever. And then we did our first novel 
with the Trident Realm, which was Drowned Secrets by Ben Stoddard. And he wrote something about a male naiad, and the parent company, came, Mantic, came back to us and said, no, that's not right. There can't be male naiads. Now, Ben didn't know that. I didn't know that. And the author who wrote the Trident Realm short story in the anthology didn't know that. So at this point, we have a novel already put to print that said male naiad. So there is a lore and discrepancy with that, which, you know, on a second printing of the anthology will be fixed. Um, I know the anthology has been out for a while, but we haven't got a chance. It, it hasn't sold enough to fix that yet. So when it does, it will be fixed. But it's just interesting how things like that, you know, the author looked at it, didn't see an issue. I looked at it, didn't see an issue. Somebody from the parent company read it. They didn't catch that. So even if you scour the source and you look through everything, sometimes you'll find details that will escape everybody's eye and still go to print. And you have to make do with that. You either go, oh, well, that is what it is, or you fix it in a second printing. That's just how it is. Yeah, um, th that's um, it's something that's not going to crop up when you do your own setting, isn't it? I think because you've got 100% control, that, that thing that keeps coming back to it, 100% control. And uh, again, an, an author I've been working with recently in, in, in one of these short stories IPs, who's, who really wants to write within an I, this IP, but sometimes people have very distinct ideas of here's what I want it to be. And it might even uh, be at a subconscious level. I look at Gates of Antares, and when I go back and um, one, of the, one of the felonies, I suppose, of writing in someone else's IP is to twist that IP into what you want it to be rather than what the lawmasters want it to be. And right. I, I think I did that with Gates of Antares. And uh, I wasn't familiar with Infinity, uh, but Infinity, to me, that's the, that's the ultimate sci-fi setting. I, I absolutely love it. I think it's great. And I think subconsciously I was trying to make Gates of Antares fit the Infinity mould and a bit more cyberpunk and have more kind of sparkle and life and soul to it and um, and have more of that militaristic feel. So, uh, but, but it wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't a, I don't like this, therefore I am going to try and subtly change things. Um, mm -hmm. it, it can be done when you don't even realise uh, you're doing it. But um, I, I have also worked with authors in the past who... who are very conscious that they're doing it as well. And we'll kind of say, yeah, yeah okay, so, so the lawmaster's written this, but I don't like that. I think that's a kind of a bit rubbish, so here's my idea. And that's when you kind of got to say, but it, sadly, it doesn't matter what you think. If this is a grey area, then try and flesh it out. See what the lawmasters think, that's great. If it is already set in stone and is black and white, then you, you are slave to that detail. You've got to follow it. You absolutely right. must. And uh, that's one of the key differences. Again, could be a pro, could be a con. Depends on what sort of what sort of writing you want to do. Right, and that's really the core difference between original and uh, licensed. That's really the core difference between original setting and a licensed IP setting. Is that you know, in an original setting, you are the lore master. You are the one who's creating everything, and so you don't have to answer anybody. So if you've created something and you go, ah, I don't like that. You can change it on the fly. But if you're working within a licensed setting and something has already been established, like you said, you have to follow that um, condition. You have to follow what's already been established. And if you don't like it, you can ask the lore master, you know, why is it done this way? Can we do something different? Are there exceptions? You can communicate with the parent company to ask those type of things. But at the end of the day, 
they have a clear vision for their product and they have an already established mind frame of where they want something to go. And the other part of this is they might have something set up a certain way because it's going to lead into a product or a, a miniature or range in the future and they're establishing something minute now that will pay off into something bigger later. So they don't want you challenging something that they're working on. Best example I can think of with that is um, we've been working with uh, Mantic and Kings of War probably the longest and we have the best relationship with them. And there are areas when we first started working with them that they didn't want us to touch. There are areas they still don't want us to touch because they're not ready to explore it yet. Um, when we first jumped into Kings of War, there was a faction called the Brotherhood. And that was a big faction that like people really liked it. Mark, you even submitted a story originally for the Brotherhood instead of the Basileans, correct? Gotten that, yeah. That is exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why did I change it? I can't. That's probably one for another episode, but you're right. Steps of, Steps it, of Deliverance was originally a Brotherhood story, I think. Because they nixed it. Because we weren't allowed to touch Brotherhood at that point. Yeah, yeah, that was it. They said, um, yeah, because uh, how are we pronouncing Brotherhood hadn't split yet. Should we go Basilean, Basilean? But I, uh, I'm going to go Basilean for this episode. We'll pronounce it. Yeah, Basilean, I think. It was Basilean, I'm sure, when I read it. But it's Basilean <laughs> now. Anyway, um, yeah, they were kind of... Um, ah, what do you say? The, the, they, are they the flagship faction? When you open the the rule book, it's, it's, it's got like a paladin helmet as, as the symbol mm -hmm. of Kings of War, almost. So it, it made sense... To come straight out of the uh, out of the gates with a with a Basilean story, and I think that's why it ended right. up going in that direction. At that point, the Brotherhood hadn't split yet. So, in Kings of War, in the in the Edge of the Abyss campaign that we came in at, there was this faction called the Brotherhood, and they were kind of like uh, Ranger esque, more or less. Like, how would you describe Brotherhood pre split, Mark? Ah, no, this is this is interesting in itself. Again, I'm, this is going to become my catchphrase on the podcast. We could do a whole episode on this, um, for, <laughs> because when we looked at nature's was it nature's night? It was because there's a lot of broad yes. references in nature's night. You got four mm. different authors doing different things with that and seeing it in a different way. For me, uh, brotherhood. You look at the miniatures that are in the rule book, in, in the source book, when they are first introduced into Kings of War. And they are clearly, clearly, clearly based on the monastic fighting orders of the Catholic Church from the medieval right. era. They're Templars, they're Hospitallers. Uh, so that's what they were to me. They were a religious fighting order. Now, fair enough, they, they had other bits bolted onto the outside of that. You could see that they... Uh, they had like peasants within the ranks who did have a little bit of the sort of Robin Hood and his Merry Men kind of feel. Yep. But for me, first and foremost, and again, when you read the lore of them, is that they are uber-religious. They, uh, they were a religious fighting order. Whereas other authors would look at that and, and, and didn't see that at all. And, and uh, I remember there was a, a, another author who made a reference saying, to me, they come across more as Jedi. It's about balance. It's not about doing the good thing for your, for your deity. It's about balance between good and evil and neutrality, which my counter-argument to that is, but their alignment literally says they're good. So again, it just shows that you can come into this with a fresh pair of eyes and read exactly the same bit of lore and walk away as an author with a completely different take on it. Right. So that was the Brotherhood, and then they split into two different factions, the Brother Mark and the Order of the Green Lady. 
and the brother Mark went with the Basileans, so they kind of that that whole holy knight thing fit in with them even more because the Basileans are a very you know paladin holy knight type faction. Meanwhile, the Order of the Green Lady were more of the um, Robin Hood esque nature lover type thing. They went with the forces of nature. So you had one faction that split into two, and we had a lot of people at the beginning asking to do brotherhood stories because they liked the mentality of that the faction represented and like what the core of them was. So that was an area that we could not touch because they had plans to split it. They couldn't tell us necessarily what was going on when we first jumped on, but they said, Nope, we're not doing that yet. Then when we split it, then when, then when Mantic split the faction too, we were able to use both of those factions in respective stories. Actually Mark worked with both of them. Um, in Nature's Night, we did we used Order of the Green Lady and set up the introduction, sort of the how those knights functioned within the forces of nature. Yeah, Faith Aligned is where we used the Brother Mark and showed how they integrated with the Basileans and the issues and that they had. You know, when, when two completely separate forces have to integrate with each other. And shameless plug: It's a great novel. Check it out. Everything we talk about in this podcast is a great novel. Check it out. <laughs> We should do more shameless plugs. I mean, I know it's only episode two, but we're yeah. Let's. Uh, what else can we plug? But um, yeah, it, it was um, all of that stuff that you've described is all challenges which are unique to working within someone else's IP. If mm-hmm. you're doing your own stuff, which um, I have done, I have done um, a. There is there's one novel on Wing to Sell's books which has got my name on it, which I'm just never getting round to doing the final edit on, which is my own thing i guess it's because now i've worked within franchise fiction so much over the last few years i'm way 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 more comfortable supporting someone else's idea rather than coming up with my own from scratch and i think if we were to dive across briefly while we're sort of jumping outside of the fence on this into one of the big positives of working um no so yeah a negative of working within your own ip is making the world feel lived in. That, I think, right. is one of the, the hardest things to do. Now, I'm not a big Game of Thrones fan at all, but I'm reliably informed by those who are that Game of Thrones is an absolutely fantastic example of how to make a world feel lived in. The, right. Within reading a, f- a few pages, within watching the first episode, you get a real sense of who are the factions, what are the politics... What's the faith and religion? Uh, what are the industries at play? How does, a, how does a normal person live a normal existence? All of that stuff. Whereas you can look at some other franchises where it's just, you've got this, real, this um, really impressive world painted in front of you, uh, but it doesn't feel lived in. It feels empty. It feels like it wouldn't right. function. And a successful IP has already done all of that for you. And I think that is the primary reason why I like writing in, in someone else's IP, because I, I don't want to spend days and weeks coming up with geopolitical systems and a, a massive history. I just want to write about uh, grassroots characters. So that's, that's um, for me, a lot more fun to do in someone else's IP and to flesh it out rather than think of my own deities, mythology, politics. That, that to me, isn't the most fun part. All right, we'll get to that in original IPs because I got a lot to say about that as well. But you've hit the nail on the head on that is, you know, licensed IPs have it all, for the most part, figured out. And things that they don't have figured out, you can help contribute to as an author. You know, we I, I think I talked about this on the last episode 
but um, Ben Stoddard has written uh, our first dwarf novel, Pride of the King, that's going to be out this fall. And that's the first dwarf novel that kind of moves the narrative of the dwarves forward and kind of tells the big story that Mantic is trying to set up for the dwarves. And there are certain things that Ben helped work with to create, to flesh out the dwarves. And then there are slight little details. I think I said this last time, but there was a chess game, like a chess checkers type game that Ben created in the story. And that's now canon. You know, that little minor detail that he created is now canon. So it's a cool thing to see an author put their own stamp on a faction or an IP by what they're able to create. And, you know, with, with you, with Steps of Deliverance, you know, you now have this character, Orion, who a lot of our audience thinks is like the flagship character for the Kings of War franchise. You know, he's this strong, powerful, conflicted hero who he is the definition of a good guy, even if he is resilient to show some of those traits sometimes. He is your character who has fallen and has risen, and even the supporting characters with him, they all have really good character arcs that now are staple canon in the Kings of War universe. Yeah, I think that's that, that character as well, That um, because the, the theme of what we're looking at is IP versus your own setting. Could I have used that character, or indeed any characters in my own setting? Yeah, I think by and large. And that's, I, I suppose, one of the other constraints to working within someone else's IP is if you have an idea for a character, um, particularly, and, and I think this is more, more, in some ways more one for the next episode where we look at that, that character development side of things. But if you have an idea for a character, it might not fit a setting. Um... Black Library, 40k, Grimdark, all of that sort of stuff. You could have this real uplifting idea, uh, a real positive message, a real feel-good story of the underdog who then ends up getting the happy ending and everything goes great. And it, in something like 40k, which is a fantastically rich, well-thought-out setting, um, it might not work. Because that's just not the feel, that's not the vibe, and that's not the world. It's a really dark, horrible world where life is cheap and, and meaningless. So that's something, again, where at least if you're within your own IP, you could take... Uh, I keep saying your own IP, I'm not sure that's technically correct. If it's within your own setting, um, you could take elements of other things that you really like and say, OK, how can I take a little bit of Star Wars, a little bit of 40K, a little bit of Infinity, whatever it might be, and come up with my own thing, which is uh, all the bits I enjoy of other, other stuff, but without any of the limitations. Right, and that's a big consideration when you're writing a novel or you're accepting a pitch. One of the issues that I have is um, in regards to swearing. You know, we make our novels all audience-friendly. You know, we want anybody of any age to pick up a novel and be able to read it. And that's a big issue with younger kids is that, you know, you, you have a hard time convincing anybody nowadays to read instead of picking up a tablet or a game or anything. I'm included in that audience, especially the younger audiences where everybody is very much glued to their screens, which, again, I understand completely. How do you get them to pick up a novel? Well, if you're a parent and you say, look at this, it's based off a game. It's really cool. And the kid goes, all right, fine, I'll read it because I like that game. That's one thing. But if the parent picks it up, and the kids under a certain age, and they, there's swearing left and right, you shut out an audience. Now, granted, it, this this is also another another topic for another episode. But 
how come swearing isn't okay, but violence is? And that's definitely something that we'll talk about in another episode and something that you and I have talked about before and something I actually talked about with another one of our authors, John Levy, recently. But you go into settings like Infinity where there's already a gratuitous amount of swearing and John actually just linked me some quotes from the rule book. And I, I, you know, I had seen that it was a more mature setting and you and I talked about it was a more mature setting. But it's still, it limits an audience to be able to do that because yes, okay, it's one thing to be able to, to have all these swears in the rule book and it's another thing to say, here's a novel that will introduce you to the game and that's the tough thing. Um, some of the feedback we got from your novel was that there was just too much swearing and that was after we cut out a number of the F words. We, we trimmed it down significantly. Significantly, yeah, 75% uh, was what it was trimmed down. Yeah, um, and it, it's a tricky one, that one, because Mantic, um, I, I don't like speaking on behalf of, uh, of the lawmasters and stuff because it's, it's not fair on them, but I am confident in, in saying that I am speaking, you know, I'm saying Mantic's will. They've been very clear in articulating to us that they want young adults and older kids to be able to read this stuff. Definitely. So, uh, so that's crystal clear. So, well, and and even, even on that note, um, when we did the Dreadball novel, The Last Hurrah, Robert Waters had used more expletive language because he thought it was a mature setting. You know, Dreadball, you've got a, like, a football where people can kill each other. So he used more expletive words. And Rob Berman, who was the head Dreadball guy at the time, came back with, you know, I'm a little disappointed because I wanted my kids to be able to read this book and I don't feel comfortable with them reading it with all the swears. I'm like, because ah. that was my first gut instinct was take out the swears. And, you know, Robert Waters gave me a compelling argument of, you know, it's a more mature setting. So I go with the authors. You know, my suggestions, as you can uh, support, Mark, is mostly just suggestions. My editing isn't clear cut. This is what you have to do. It's, no, this is what I think would make the novel stronger. This is what I think would work best. Things that I'm very, things that are actual, like legit, no, you have to change it. I will explicitly say, but most of my comments are, let's do this. Let's try to do this. Let's try to work out this. Let's do this because I think it would help the novel sell more. So one of the things I said to him was, you know, I think we should get rid of the swearing. So he said, no, I think it's just say because of the setting. So I said, all right. So it just goes to show it depends on the setting. It depends on who is looking at it. It depends on the audience you want to reach. And one of the things that Vince has said is about, you know, we want to set a precedence for people picking up our novels to say, this is what you should expect going into it. You should, you know, we did one novel by Scott Washburn that was really, really adult. And the themes were just very adult. And we put a warning on the novel saying like, this novel is meant for 18 and older, like no, no younger audiences because there was a lot of really dark, themes and I'll leave it at that. So, so from what you said Robert Waters said, I, I, I would be 100% on side with him there. If a setting was put in front of me and I was told, um, okay, so what this is about is effectively a televised sport where for entertainment people, people kill each other, I would see that as an adult setting. So p people are getting, p people are losing their lives to entertain others in a kind of gladiatorial, uh, brutal, barbaric kind of way, but don't swear because I want my kids to read it. That, that to me, would jar. So I, I do see where Robert's coming from with that. That would not make sense to me. Now, right. I, I, but with war games, the, the, the clues in the title, war, 
there is going to be an element of conflict and violence, but you can manage that. Um, dungeon crawlers are probably the the easiest way for kids into that because you can kind of market it to younger kids of you're bopping monsters on the head, uh, right? And, and you don't need to go any further than that really, as you just you you're, you're getting rid of nasty monsters and zombies and stuff like that. So you, you don't have to go weapons free and go crazy with the violence all the time. But by virtue of the fact that you are selling a war game for the parent company, there's, there's likely going to be uh, a healthy or, or unhealthy, depending on how you look at it, element of violence. Um, and I think that does steer it towards a more mature audience. And certainly, as you said, with, with Infinity, Infinity have set their stall out. You read any of their law books and the level of language, there's not really anywhere else to go. So, um, yeah, I, I can see why with Infinity, when their team have read through our stuff, and that there, there hasn't even been any flinching over the language, because that, that is the setting. It is very much a, an adult market. So, uh, again, IP, uh, uh, a established IP versus cr full creative control in, in doing your own thing. Uh, Kings of War and Infinity, hugely different. One wants to, to bring in a younger crowd, one is very happy in saying this is for adults. Right, I agree. And there's one more thing I just want to touch on before we switch over gears to the original works. Um, I want to kind of talk about one of the one of the biggest cons about or one of the biggest disadvantages of working in an IP setting, and that's what happens when the IP dies or we lose the contract. Now, you know, ultimately we are looking to sell novels so we fortunately have not had any issues of you know it's not working out we need to terminate we've had we've had two issues where we've had to stop publishing novels in an ip um which were wild west exodus and beyond the gates of antares um wild west exodus sold to a different company and then we tried to work with that company to keep producing the novels, but you know they had they had a grander idea and they weren't ready to go back into novels, so we just let it go. They came back to us and said, "Okay, we want to be able to write the novels and you guys distribute it." So we now distribute the Wild West Exodus novels, so they're back in our wheelhouse, but we don't write or edit them. So that's that franchise's quote unquote. Also, I'll put that in the dead sort of category. It's in the zombified category. It's dead but not. So all the other pre-existing Wild West Exodus, because it's sold, all the other pre-existing Wild West Exodus books are not canon anymore. So we have like five or six books that are not canon. And we actually had one that was completely written, edited, and ready to go to print that never went to print because it sold mid-edit. So we have a fully paid-for novel that just went to the wind. So that's a big con there. Um, and then we had Beyond the Gates of Antares, which Warlord stopped supporting and went to Skytrex, which Skytrex supports to a degree, but the core support behind the game isn't there anymore, so we stopped publishing novels with that. So what happens to those novels when we lose the contracts? Not necessarily lose the contracts, but we, you know, we choose to terminate the contracts more or less. So like I said, Wild West Exodus is now non-canon, so those books exist, but they're not canon. We cannot sell those books because we don't have an active contract anymore. We can't reprint them at least. You know, we can sell through the existing stock that we have, but that's it. So, Mark, in your case, Markov's Prize, 
people can buy it, they can download the digital copy of it, an ebook, but we can't do any more in that setting. And yours is actually, I think, the only, yeah, yours is the only standalone novel in the Beyond the, Beyond the Gates of Antares setting. And you know, occasionally you'll get some feedback from people randomly. It says, oh, I love the novel, but, you know, can't do anything more with it. We can't reprint any more physical. So really at that point, when you're writing in an IP, a fictioned, when you're writing in a licensed IP setting, you have to go in with the mentality of, this is not my product at the end of the day. You know, if something were to happen, this is just a resume filler. That's it. This isn't something that I can become the next Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling with. This is just, I'm writing this to flesh out my resume and help promote the company. And if, you know, the novels sell well, then there's more and more and more. So eventually we would love to have a Kings of War movie based off of one of our novels, but we have to have the authors, you know, support each other and help sell the novels to keep promoting it. That whole thing of signing across your, all of your work is, uh, is, a bit, is a key difference as well. That's one worth highlighting. That, um, that as soon as you work within someone else's franchise, even, and you go, okay, but these are my characters. So, okay, they're wearing your franchise's armor, they're carrying your franchise's weapons, but they're my creative uh, vision. But that doesn't matter. If it's your own setting, they're yours. And I don't remember what the, the figures are, but I remember watching a documentary on the, the, the kind of rise of some of the key video game franchises, and Tomb Raider was mentioned. And the mm-hmm. guy who made up Lara Croft had no idea how successful this was going to be. And he sold that for... If you, if you look at what, what happened to that franchise, he sold that idea for that character for a, a amount of money that will not change your year, let alone your life. It really wasn't much. And the guy, I, I feel really bad for him because that was, that was his idea. He came up with this whole concept and then he let it go for next to nothing. Now, um, I, I think that's the thing that new authors need to be aware of. If you're writing within someone else's franchise in an established setting, you've got nothing. Uh, all of it belongs to the company. As soon as you submit that work... That name of the character, that all of that backstory, it's gone. It's not yours. You do at least have, uh, to use a quite an archaic phrase, a gentleman's agreement. And that, for me, so far, has always worked really well. If I, I say to, to, to you, you know, as, as, as the editor, um, I don't want someone else to come in, take my character, and do the full Jake Skywalker uh, treatment of just belittle them, reduce them to nothing, kill them, and replace them with what they think is a better idea. And, right. um, and and that's never happened. It's never even been suggested. It's never been mooted. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable that my ideas are, are relatively safe, which is great. But right. again, looking for the, the pros and the positives of writing in your own setting, you have complete control and complete confidence and complete safety that no one else is going to mess with your stuff, for, for want of a better phrase. Right. Before we move on to talking about original settings, I just want to thank today's sponsor, on Military Matters, your source for new, used, and out-of-print military history, wargaming, and modeling. Check them out at onmilitarymatters.com and make sure to sign up for the weekly e-flyer. All right, so we've kind of touched a little bit on uh, original world setting. It's kind of hard not to when you're talking about licensed IP because they do share so many different pros and cons. Um, but like the biggest pro I can mention is like Mark 
and I talked about is it's your own world. You can do what you want and you don't have limitations set by somebody else. You don't have lore masters that, um, you know, have their own style of editors, their own style of creating what's coming out and keeping things in a black book or sharing things. You are your own lore master and you can do what you want. Your creativity isn't chained to anybody or anything. You don't have to follow pushing out models or pushing out concepts or topics or anything. It's just what you want to see and stories you want to tell. One of the it's it's a pro and a con, but you know things have to be planned out long term. So, you know, as Mark said, you know, talking about geopolitical things and religion. When I was writing, I'm writing my own standalone series called the Dragoon Clan. Um, the first novel, Rebirth of Courage, is going to be out in March. And one of the things, as I you know, as I'm working through the series, I'm working on the second book, but I've got actually the whole series planned out. And one of the things that I've been working on is the different regions, the different kingdoms. And originally I had given each of the the leaders different titles to make it more fanciful. And then as I started working on like real world comparisons, I realized they had to be kings and queens because you can't call one a king and one a prince because there's two very different uh, denominations with that. And it sets up a different idea of how their, um, their political structure is. So I tried to keep those things the same between all the regions. And then you look at what makes each kingdom different, what makes them special, how does religion factor in. That was a big thing that I hadn't considered at all in early stages. I said, oh, well, there's a there's a god in the or goddess of the universe, and you know, she works in the background, and then there's subsequent gods that give power of magic. But I didn't really think about how they were worshipped or how any of it factored into play. And it wasn't until I started working on the second novel that I'm like, I need to start seeding in these details a little bit more. So the first novel, I kind of worked on um, the geopolitical things and how the kingdoms were set up and like what, you know, little gossip about who liked what king and queen and why they were strong and why they weren't. But then the religion part, I'm like, I need to seed in a little bit more because those are things that people question. I think that's one of the the things which uh, leaves me a little bit more anxious about writing in my own setting is exactly that because religion and politics... Uh, can be the cause in the real world of a lot of friction. Um, well, if you take it to its logical extreme and you look at the history of uh, of the real world, how many wars have been caused by disagreements over religion and politics? It's it's the, the overwhelming Definitely. majority. So, so it is it is a point of conflict. And uh, I mentioned this this book I uh, I, I tinkered with, uh, which I still haven't got round to finishing yet. It's, it's an old one, and. The um, it's based very heavily on uh, almost like the the third crusade if it was on in a different world and you can see the the, the kind of clear um, religious ties to the to real world events and it would I I reread it and went through it and thought this would be very I, I can see how this would cause offence there's none intended but it doesn't really matter if no offence is intended it matters about if offence is delivered. And um, I, I don't, whereas you look at something where religion is, um, real world religion is a huge theme in an established IP like Infinity, and you, you worry less because you can go, okay, if people are already playing this, they've bought into the way religion has been presented, it hasn't upset them, and therefore you have an audience who is not upset by this, and you can go on with that. So you've got the, you've got the IP shield, really of saying all I'm doing is supporting an idea that was already established and already accepted by the community. 
Whereas if, exactly like you've done with Dragoon Clan, if it's your own, that's something which puts more pressure on the author to get it right so that you don't upset people over, over real-world issues. Right, and that's kind of also the, the con of working on your own world is that they, you don't have any existing support. You have to build that support up yourself. And you have nobody to check your ideas with. You have nobody to say, hey, did we do this in this book? Or is this already, did I go do this in an earlier part of the book? You have to go back and work with the editor and make sure you guys are checking for consistency to make sure that all the ideas are flowing correctly and being used correctly throughout. You have to try to bring something original to the table with an uh, original IP. You know, you can't, it, it, it's another, another talk for another episode. But there's no such thing as originality anymore. Even the tropes are not really, the, the tropes aren't even tropes anymore because they've been spun on their head so much because so many people go, oh, well, that's a trope, so let's change it. And then they've changed it to something else so many times that now the change is the trope and the original is very rarely seen. So it's a tough thing about how do I make something original and bring something original to the table that hasn't been seen before? You know, it's, it's impossible. You just have to write what you like and what works for you. And you have to hope that there's resonation with other people and a lot of times it isn't always what you like but what you want to write um i'll make a a video game reference real quick but uh five nights at freddy's that's a really popular game series right now and i don't like horror but i love that game series because there's so much lore and story that's not told that you have to try to figure out but the creator was not originally doing horror games he originally created educational religion games that failed and then he said you know what we'll try something and he i think he created and i could be wrong on this part of the story but i think he created something that looked kind of spooky and so he's like why don't i try horror games and he made one of the most successful horror games out right now that has its own book series its own movie series etc so sometimes it also doesn't come down to what you want to write but what will sell and again another discussion for another episode is you know following what the market currently likes could push your sales, but it might sacrifice who you are as an author. You know, my whole thing is I don't like dark endings. I don't like using overusing death, but it's a popular topic. So is it worth using that to appeal to the market or is it worth combating that to write your own thing that you want to say? That's where it kind of comes into, like you have to really work on your branding and who you are in an original IP to make it stand out. Yeah, that's that. That's another one to to uh, to touch on and a key difference. In your own setting, you can you set the tone and you can do exactly what you want. If I look back at some of those first novels I did for for established franchises, and the one which stands out the most, I think, is Steps to Deliverance. If I wrote Steps to Deliverance again now, it would be quite different in a few key areas because um, as a, certainly not saying I've, I've got tons of experience now, but I have more experience a few years down the line than I did back in 2017, 2018. And um, right. yeah, the, uh, the, the, there's some pretty um, sizable sections of that where I was writing. I, I didn't write what I wanted to write. I wrote what I thought the Kings of War community wanted to read and consume. And in your own setting, you don't need to worry about that. You still want to write about something that you think is going to be marketable and that your target audience will enjoy. 
but it's not as the, the bracket can be wider i think um in in an ip it's it's a narrower bracket because there is already you've got that the advantage of the pre-made audience that's great but that pre-made audience will have a demographic of sorts and so you 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 sort of need to cater for that a bit I'll give a kind of quick summary on the pros and cons of both, and Mark, you can weigh in where you feel appropriate. But um, license IPs, the pros are, you know, you've got an existing fan base, an existing world. You've got things you don't have to think about because they already exist. The strength there is working as a team player in an already existing universe and working with the franchise lore masters to make sure that you're writing a novel that works with the vision of the IP. And you have, you know, readers who are already invested that you can get feedback on and see like where people fall into line and what they like and don't like. Meanwhile, the, the cons of it are, you know, there are limitations. You cannot create your own vision. You have to stick to what is existing in the universe. There are details that, you know, you might feel passionate about, but they don't generate, they don't vibe with the main vision of the IP and you have to cut out and you have to work around. Um, when you get answers wrong there are issues if you if you if you come up with ideas and it's not what jives and you don't check with the lore master or you you know or the editor misses that conveniently thinks that you've already established that with the lore master there are consequences in the greater scheme of things where now your novel has the potential to fall out of canon and it just loses all sale value um you know if you misunderstand the the if you misunderstand the source material and you don't check with anybody, that has lasting effects on the candidacy of your lore, of your novel. You know, the other thing is people might feel like they own part of it because they are playing the game and they might feel like your vision is not the same as their vision and you find a conflict of interest there. Even if you are being told the right information from the lore master and you do have it right, people might disagree with what you say because... That's just people. And then there's always the potentiality of the IP ceasing or production of the IP ceasing. So you have to take that in consideration. Meanwhile, with original world concepts, it's your own world. You don't have limitations. You can do what you want. The sky's the limit. You can create what you want to create, but you don't have that backing of an already existing IP. You don't have people there to check your work necessarily to make sure that you know it's fitting with the grander scheme if you're writing a series. If you're writing a one-off book, you have to make sure that your work is consistent from start to finish. Characters are consistent. Lore is consistent. The geopolitical things are consistent. The religion's consistent. You have to make sure there's a lot of consistency because you are the only one that knows what's going on. If you're going to write a sequel later, you want to make sure that you've still kept things consistent and characters' fates are still the same and ideas are still the same. And you like For my work, I have to keep an over 200 page word document of notes to make sure that I'm keeping things consistent and make sure I've touched on all the aspects that's it, it's it's there's pros and cons of both of them and there's really you know when you're writing in a licensed IP the goal is to you know if you want to be a team player and you want to help contribute to something by leaving your mark on an IP leaving your characters or leaving your interpretation of something then by all means that's the place that you're going to thrive in. You want to make sure that you're going to be a. You want to make sure that you're going to be a team player, and you're working with something that already exists. If you work strongly with that, 
if you work strongly with other people and you can work within settings and you can work within limitations and you want to and you want to write about something that you're passionate about in there then you're going to be good with a licensed ip but if you don't want limitations if you want to be able to just do what you want to do that's where the original world concept is stronger and you know a lot of people like original world concepts because they don't feel tied down to as one of our good reviewer friends mike carter puts it an epic series you know not everybody wants to read a series of books some people just want to read a one-off and be done and a lot of our licensed ip setting novels you can do that uh drowned secrets nature's night you can pick them up be done with it steps of deliverance you can read the first one and be done with it there's a series though there are two more books that came out that further the story but you can still pick it up read it and be done with it original world ips not everything has to have a sequel you can tell the story in in start to finish and not have to worry about anything else and some people want that some people just want to pick up a book they want to read and enjoy and be done with and not have to think about a sequel because not everything is good with sequels sometimes stories can be told in one setting i personally don't believe that necessarily i'm a huge fan of hey this was good let's keep going let's tell more stories and i think i'm going to attribute that to dragon ball z and it's ever long series that just keeps going on and on with filler episodes because i'm a huge fan of let's do some filler episodes let's do some character development let's have goku get his driver's license for some god awful reason but it was a, and that episode that remains in my mind yeah i think um Oh, to sum up from that, uh, diving in as a junior author kind of way, just in, in, in really quick, succinct stuff. If you absolutely love world building, uh, like big scale, top end world building with the entire history of the world, with how the politics works, with how the mythology works, with how the cultures were created and what defines them, then yeah, arguably, yeah, there's a decent argument to say that writing your own setting maybe maybe better for you if however you go you know what the the sound of that is exhausting and intimidating and that's not really what it's about for me i want to dive into the weeds i just want this tiny area just tucked away in one corner and i want to really explore it and open it up that and also you've you've got that pre-built um fan base already there for you then uh, that then maybe working within someone else's ip might be better uh, but I don't think either of them are completely exclusive. Uh, you've, we've mentioned Ben Stoddard a couple of times. I think he's got a real gift for that world building. And so the mm -hmm. stuff he's doing within Kings of War, I can't do that. I, I don't have the creativity and the skill set to do the stuff he does. Um, I, but also, he, it appears to me he loves doing that stuff, and that's great. That, that, to me, is more of a chore. It's more something that has to be done. But I wouldn't necessarily enjoy doing it. Whereas he, he seems to really enjoy it and is really good at it. Um, so, so, but yeah, you, so you can do it within an IP, just like if it's crafted particularly well within your own setting. You don't have to create every last element of the world. I think it just needs to work. There just needs to be enough there that the world feels lived in and, and believable. Right. And uh, Mark, you've, as you say, you've done both. So what do you... What do you really prefer writing? Like, do you feel like you've had too much constraints working in IP setting? I know you touched about how you like to not have to think about some of the like background details, but it, it, do you find yourself wanting to write more in original 
settings or do you are you comfortable most often telling stories within an already existing universe and doing your research and writing the characters based off of that uh the latter definitely uh i don't really feel any draw towards writing in my own setting i used to uh mm. when i was I, I i did some some writing at university and it was and, and did some stuff in my own settings and things and i look back and i read them and they they they're they're terrible let's be honest they're absolutely <laughs> awful because because the worlds don't work whereas you look at what corvus belli have done with infinity and it's like so you've got Catholic space knights fighting aliens who are also on a world with Scottish werewolves and samurai. <coughs> it's ridiculous, but it works. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. I love what they've done. I could never make that work. So someone else has already made it work. So and so I would rather just just work away in a little corner of that and try and put my characters and my ideas within this fantastic concept. So for me, I'm far happier writing within someone else's IP. Right. So I'll throw my two cents in as well. Um, you know, I was always told when I first started writing, don't write your best idea first. You always want to save that for once you've had experience. And I can say with complete honesty, it is so true. I wrote the Dragoon. I originally wrote Rebirth of Courage and we put a small printing out when we first started doing Wing Tusser Publishing and it was not great because I was my own author. I was my own editor. It was my lifelong dream to write the Dragoon Clan series. I it started it got me into writing. It got me into character development. It, I use my main character in every game I can create a character in. It is my passion and my dream. So there's a difference. I look back on that first one we published and since taken out of print, and I look at my writing skill in the last draft that's finished and now going to go to print that you know you helped with, Mark, and I can see the change in quality tenfold. There are ideas I put in that I didn't have in the first one. There's changes I made. That things like things things as little as you need to think about ramifications of your enemies. You know, I originally had my enemies mortal in the first draft, and in this last draft, they're demons. And there's a big difference there, as Mark pointed out to me. There's ramifications of how is your character going to react to killing a human versus how is your character going to react to killing a demon. There's a very big difference there, and I can attribute a lot of that to working within. IPs and the editing I've done within IPs and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And I think if you want to write your own original concept world, you need to start with fan fiction. And to a less to a lesser extent, working in this fiction, working in this licensed IP is published canon fan fiction for to a lesser extent. You need to work on writing in somebody else's world where you don't have to worry about those concepts that Mark talked about before you work in a bigger world where you do have to worry about those issues. And that's why a lot of people base original world things on real life because they just assume, people are going to assume that if it's canon in real life, it's canon in this. It's a lot of assumption that I see. So if you want to work on your own original world, fan fiction, writing in a world that already exists and you don't have to make up these minor details, 
is crucial when you have to work on your own thing. So in summary, they're both good for different reasons and they both help. Writing in a, a licensed IP definitely helps your resume and it helps your writing skill. And it, writing in original world is tricky, but it's rewarding when done right. So yeah, any questions that the audience has about working in either one of these settings, we'd be happy to answer. Um, find us on Facebook or send us an email. And you know, we'd love to hear audience engagement about what you guys think. I've been Brandon Rossbaum. I'm Mark Barber. And we'll catch you guys in the next episode.